Jesus Christ, our living hope. I'll tell you, this is one of these mornings that I'm very, very tempted all of a sudden. Not tempted in a bad way, tempted in a good way. We've had so many verses of scripture coming and ideas coming out in this music from 1 Peter chapter 1 about Jesus Christ, our living hope. And it was just so happened it was in my devotional reading tonight, this morning. I'm like, wow, we have now been born by his mercy, given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, can never fade, can never spoil. This is the inheritance that is kept for you in heaven. We, as the people of God, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's going on in the world, we have a living hope. He is alive. It is Jesus, the one who has come back from the dead. He's the one we celebrate the, to, this morning, and he is the one who is always speaking to us and speaking to us through his word. So today I want us to um, turn to uh, some passages in scripture. We're going to continue a study that we have, um, that we just started in the book of in the book of Second uh, Kings, we're looking at the, the life of Elisha the prophet. And so let's pray to, and ask God to speak to us because God speaks through his word every time, every way, and he's got some things to say to us. Let's open our hearts and our minds. God, we do ask that you would speak. We know that you are uh, always at work, that you were always doing what couldn't be done. You, you brought your son back from the dead uh, who has all authority in heaven and earth and who constantly speaks to us by his spirit through your word. Lord, would you open scripture today so that we would understand it? Would you open our minds uh, so that we would internalize and our hearts so that we would respond? We pray this knowing that you hear us. You hear us because you promised to in the name of Jesus Christ, our living hope. Amen. Well, this morning... Um, <clears throat> This is a little bit one of those trickier sermons. I'm going to just go ahead and like uh, tell you that right now. <clears throat> Why? Well, here's the deal. There's a lot going on in this passage. It's a passage that may not be familiar to you. In fact, the life of Elisha might not be familiar to you. And we talked a little bit about who he was and how he had taken over for the more famous prophet Elijah, uh, who had done all of these things to try to turn people's hearts back to him, to work back to God. But a lot of the people had not responded. And now his protege, uh, Elisha, has now taken over this role of prophet. Um, he, it was a time when the nation was divided literally into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And, and during this time, the people battled each other, but they also battled external threats. It was a time that in some ways they were prosperous, but in some times there were looming not only economic threats, but even threats by other powers like the Assyrian Empire was looming in the midst. And it was a difficult time. And so today's story, gotta be honest, it's got some interesting plot twists. It's got some interesting features. And you flip to this next slide and it'll say this, it's full of misguided alliances. Some things where people said, hey, let's team up. And it was probably a bad idea. There are gonna be perilous situations. I feel like this is like the trailer to a movie or something, right? Um, there are perilous situations where the people of God were going to be all of a sudden find themselves in an impossible situation. There's, of course, the miraculous plot twist, the things that only God could do to glorify his name and to bring deliverance. But this morning, there's also a lot of applications because we're not here just to see a movie or to hear a story, but we're here to say, how does God's word speak to our lives in every situation? Oh yeah, not only a lot of applications, there's a lot of kings. 
So <laughs> it's going to be confusing. So let me see if I can help us out here. Let's start with this, this story. In 2 Kings chapter 3, it says this, Joram, the son of Ahab, became king of Israel. Now, you can see the map is the blue is Israel. That, remember I said it was a divided kingdom? Israel's the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, right? And that, his capital was in Samaria, and that was in the 18th year of another king, the king of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, right? That's the southern king. That's one of the, what would you call that, pink or salmon? I'm going with salmon. Okay, uh, the salmon-colored uh, kingdom and the blue kingdom used to be one kingdom under Solomon and King David and King Saul, but now they've split and they've warred against each other, they've fought with each other, and sometimes they've made alliances and been kind of friends, but these were all those original 12 tribes of Israel. These were all supposedly the people of God who were worshiping God. I'll say two kingdoms, two kings. Joram, Jehoshaphat. You sticking with me so far? All right. Then he, I always like it when you just give me a he. Which is he? Um, Joram, king of Israel. That's the he. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Okay. King Ahab. You remember Ahab, right, from like, like Moby Dick or something like that? We all in the big whale. That's how I remember him. He was a bad king. Ahab was the one that said, okay, people, we're not even really worshiping Yahweh, the God that Moses told us about. We're not even really following his commandments at all. He was setting up altars to other gods. That's the Baal worship, the Asherah pole. I mean, they were truly going into some very wicked practices in the land. And so they had completely abandoned God. Joram, his son, seems to say he still did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He wasn't really wholeheartedly devoted to God, but he did get rid of the Baal worship. So he is returning to that worship of God at least sort of halfway, sort of halfway. He got rid of the sacred stones to Baal that his father had made. He'd gotten rid of that. But what did he still do? Well, verse 3 is going to tell us. Nevertheless, he, that Joram, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat. King number 3. King number 3. Um, Jeroboam, son of Nabat. Who is he? He is a previous king of Israel. In fact, he was the very first king when they split into two groups, okay? Jeroboam, son of Nabat, what was his sin? Well, this guy had a very particular sin. He had led Israel to commit this sin. When the kingdom split and the temple was in the south in Judah, are you hanging with me? Kingdom was in the south in Judah. That first king, Jeroboam, said, if the people keep going south, we were all one country, if they keep going back to the south to worship God, the kingdom is just going to come back together. And then they're going to kill me. So I want to keep it split. I want to keep us two kingdoms. So he set up his own temples. He set up two of them. And he set up some golden calves that the people were supposed to worship. He still was saying this is the God of Moses, but he didn't have the right priest. He appointed his own priest that would teach things his way. And so he kind of made sort of a state religion that, that was kind of worshiping God, but kind of not. So the golden calves that were in the city of Dan and the city of Bethel became these places of worship. And all the way through the Old Testament, it keeps referring to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat. This, this state religion that had been set up, it was a little bit contrary to God. Do we ever do that? 
do we ever kind of compromise truth to make it a little more convenient for ourselves or to keep ourselves in power? Honestly, it felt like religious gerrymandering, right? You know how like, you know, different one of the pop parties, whenever they're in charge, kind of gerrymander the things to keep themselves so that people always vote for them. Hey, I'm, I'm going to make religiously a gerrymander so that I can still be the religious leader, so I can still be the religious king or priest or head dude. Guys, we are called to follow God, His ways, His time. He knows what is best. He knows our going out and our coming in. He knows every word that's on our tongue before we even form it. We worship God and God alone. Joram followed, well, the more practical approach, the way to kind of keep himself in power. Now, he was a very powerful king, and in fact, Joram had subjugated, Israel had subjugated some other kingdoms. And here we go with number four, verse four. We're only on verse four, and this is our fourth king. Now, Mesha, king of Moab, oh my goodness, he raised sheep and had to pay the king of Israel, that was Joram, a tribute of a hundred thousand lambs and the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of, of Israel. I always like how we use the term rebelled. <clears throat> Is it a rebellion or was it a revolution, right? Is it the American Rebellion or was it the American Revolution, right? We had that kind of last week. Um, there's, there's sort of that question of like, well, if you're the freedom fighters, you feel like it's rebellion. Um, if you're the, or re- it's revolution. But if you're the uh, in charge guy, you think it's a rebellion kind of thing. So here, Israel's saying it's a rebellion because they were rebelling against them. They were just trying to win their freedom, I think. All right, just a review, because I like reviews, just in case for the exam. <clears throat> Four kings, who were they? Joram, son of Ahab, that was the current king of Israel. He's the guy that uh, was not quite worshiping God how he should. There was Jehoshaphat. He was the current king of Judah that did worship God like he was supposed to. Jeroboam the first, previous king of Israel. And now we've got Mesha, the king of Moab, who's rebelling against Joram. Okay, we just need to know that, all that stuff, so that the story even makes sense. Let's go into the story. Verse 6. So at that time, King Joram set out from Samaria, and he mobilized all of Israel, the army, and he sent his message to Jehoshaphat, the second king, the king of Judah, hey, king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? We want to keep them uh, under our thumb. We want to keep them paying taxes to us. Will you go? And the answer from Jehoshaphat is, yeah, I'll go with you. I'm like you are. My people are your people. My horses are like your horses. What route shall we go attack? And through the desert, he says, the desert of Edom, he answered. Okay, now most of you guys aren't really picking up on this, but if you got some questions all of a sudden, because if I was the king, I would have some questions. I got two big ones. You can flip to this next side. Are you asking why? I'm thinking, why should I go help you fight your battle to keep some other people group oppressed, right? I'm, I'm thinking social justice here. I, I don't know if I want to go with you on this battle. Why, does, why am I risking my troops, my horses, my men to fight your battle? That's my first question. My second question is, why are we going through the desert again? I, I, I don't understand the people who like go to the, like, like Arizona or something for a, for a vacation and they want to go to you know, what is it, the Death Valley. It sounds bad. Death Valley. I want to go to like Living Valley. I want to go to Springs of Water Valley. I want to go to Pleasant Weather Valley. I don't want to go to Death Valley. I don't understand that, but hey, let's go through the desert. Why would they do that? 
Well, to answer your first question, because I know you were asking it, you're asking the first question, why, go, why should me, Jehoshaphat, go to war and help you out, King Joram? Well, here's the deal. In 2 Chron uh, Chronicles <clears throat> chapter 18, verse 1, it tells us this. Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor. That's the one we're talking about. He allied himself with Ahab, remember the father of Joram, by marriage. Oh, to make an alliance to kind of strengthen the bond between the north and the south. Um, Jehoshaphat had married one of Ahab's daughters or maybe like a niece or something, but somehow they were married. So probably Joram and probably Jehoshaphat were now brothers-in-law. You ever had the, the brother-in-law that does the, uh, <clears throat> hey, you want to go in business together? Hey, I got this neat investment idea. My, my, my brother-in-law pulled this one. Hey, I've got an investment plan. You give me money. I got a great deal, and, and, and I'll pay you back with a little interest. No. The answer is no. The answer is, I don't know. All my money is tied up. Oh, I've got other commitments. Oh, I've entrusted to an actual financial planner who might actually be able to do, get, get me to retire someday. Yeah, yeah, be careful. Be careful about these alliances, right? This was sort of that brother-in-law and alliance. Now, here's what's really crazy about this. He says yes, but here's what's wild about that. He had already gotten in trouble for doing the very same thing. If we look at 2 Chronicles 19, Jehoshaphat, the kingdom of Judah, uh, who, the king of Judah, who we just said, had returned safely to his palace after narrowly escaping with his life. He escaped in his life because he was went in a battle with Ahab. Had, had, he had gone with him and teamed up with Joram's father, Ahab, and they had gone to war, and it had gone badly. God told him it was going to go badly. And Jehu the prophet, or Jehu the seer, the son of Hanani, uh, went out to meet him and said, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Application number one. I told you there's a bunch of them. Here it is. Be careful about your partnerships. Be careful about your partnerships. Be careful what job you're willing to take on, what, what employer you're willing to work for. Be careful. Be careful with who you say, hey, yeah, let's go into business together. And if you're considering marriage or something like that, ultimate partnership, why would you ever get into a relationship in a partnership where the most important person in your life can't share the most important person in your life? Right? That most important human relationship, you couldn't share the most important spiritual relationship with God with them. They wouldn't understand when you say, God is leading me too. They won't want to raise the children maybe in honoring the Lord. They won't want to give their money towards Christian endeavors or to missions. Why would you? You can't link up that way. We need to be on, on the same page. Now, sometimes we find ourselves in those places, absolutely. But here's the deal. If, you've got, if you're on the front end of that decision, we need to be careful about our partnerships. We need to be careful about our partnerships. Now, <clears throat> as I say that, I need to go with some caveats of Scripture. Because although Scripture is very true, it's true and it covers the whole range of life. And it says be careful about our partnerships because number one, it's a, part, it's a complicated world. It's a complicated world. It's a world in which we are all mixed together in our investments and in our time and in our employment. We are all mixed together. I've always been it, it, kind of scratched my head a little bit about like groups that try to say, well, I only want to invest my money in companies that, 
that, that are a certain way. I think that's, that, that's noble and admirable. But then I realized that that company probably also invested in another company, which has invested in another company. And, the, and so it's, sometimes it's hard to keep everything as pure and holy. It's a complicated world. Even in church, we have believers and non-believers and we're mixed together and sometimes our attitudes are not quite right. It's a complicated world. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 13. Jesus told him a parable. He said, the kingdom of God is like a man who went out and sowed good seed in his field. But when everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and weeds sprung up amongst the wheat and it went away. He talks about the people of God, how there are like wheat and, and, and weeds all mixed together. And the, 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 the farmer's hands, his, his servant said, should we go up and pull up all the weeds? And the master said, no, because you'll pull up the wheat as well. Wait until harvest time. Wait until harvest time. You know, in churches and among the people of God around the world, not everybody who professes to say, yeah, oh yeah, I know Jesus, knows Jesus. Not everybody who says they are his are really his. Following Jesus is a personal commitment initially, a regeneration that comes from the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus as our only Savior. But also following Jesus means, you ready? not just a belief that we have. It is a belief that begins a regeneration, but that regeneration that affects our actions. We can be saying no to the Spirit. We can, we can frustrate and grieve the Holy Spirit in our life. God has called us to be the wheat among the wheat. We need to be those who are actually following the Lord in all things. And so that's a, a challenge to all of us. It's a complicated world. It's hard as we try to be careful about our partnership, as careful about how we link up. The truth of the matter is um, there's going to be weeds and tares, wheat and weeds together. We are called to be holy, my friends, called to be holy. I mean, look what it says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Paul goes on to talk about how, guys, we, we can't just sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do something shady over here. I'm going to do something that is um, unhonoring to God over here with these partners and yet see to live in the kingdom of God over here. We have got to be those who, in everything we do, stand for righteousness, stand for who our God is. We need to represent Jesus in everything because we're called to be salt and light. Called to be salt and light. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all, meaning the people of this world. Wait, what? Did you catch it? Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. Instead, he goes on to say, no, when I say you gotta be holy, when you gotta be separate, it's like people who are pretending to be followers of Jesus. Now, they might be born again, but boy, they aren't living that way, or they're not even born again. They're not even truly following Jesus. They really haven't have had the Holy Spirit in their lives. He said, those who are in your midst who are not acting like believers and are not repentant for their sins. He says, those are the people I'm telling you, you got to kind of go, hey guy, you're not living like we're called to live right now. You're not following Jesus. Are you actually a believer? 
There is a call to holiness. There's a call. But when we're in the world, of course, people who live on our hall or who, live, who are maybe live at the, the apartment next door or work at the same company that you work with or maybe even part of your same family, of course there are people who are not believers and who may not be acting like believers. We can't expect the world to live with the same ethic that we, we live. We might call them to it. We want to represent what is what, how God calls us to live. But don't be surprised when the world doesn't live it's a complicated thing be careful of your partnerships be careful so the key question for me is how do i discern whether i'm supposed to be in this partnership or be out of this partnership how how do, how do i discern whether i should be part of this group or not part of this group well the question is are you being an influencer or being influenced most of us were done with this stage but a few of you still are are, are here and i'm excited because i think this is a, one of our growing parts of our church community here right now is our young people our college students if you're in college, yay! Okay. <laughs> see? See, it's growing. It's growing. It, it's getting there. All right. I'm counting, what, like seven or eight of you now uh, today. We're growing in college. Represent at least four or five schools today. I'm pretty excited about that. Okay. <clears throat> what you don't know about me, I was a fraternity guy. Okay, it was different. It was different. Phi Kappa Theta, baby. Phi Kappa. Yeah, really? Well, I'm Phi Kappa Theta, man. I, I, Here's what happened. Here's how this worked out. I was older. I was actually a chaplain at the university. And what people don't know is many of those groups, many like fraternities and stories, started as a religious group. They started a lot like Delight actually started. They started as, as, a, as a Christian men's or Christian women's group or a Jewish men's group. They, they, these different, they had religious backgrounds for most of them. And so I, interestingly, was a chaplain at a university. I'm older. I'm in grad school. But what happened was one of the Christian guys who came to our church, he was going to be one of the founding members of this new fraternity. And it said in their charter they have to have a chaplain. Now, it turns out that it was a, originally a Christian uh, fraternity. It was originally a Christian men's group, though they had long left that, that path. And um, it said in their charter you have to have a chaplain. It didn't really have to be a pastor or a chaplain. It just needed to be some guy who would be a little older and give advice. Okay? In fact, a lot of the houses just packed one of the students here. You be the chaplain. Uh, you know, maybe you. Uh, they asked if I would do it, and I prayed about it. And I thought, well, huh, okay. So I, I did. I joined, and I became a brother. I didn't have to go through hazing. I didn't have to pay dues. I didn't have to go to anything. It was great. I just got the little pin, and the, I know all the secret handshakes and stuff, right? <clears throat> and what was crazy was all the little secret stuff was so Christian that I already knew all of it. I'm like, I don't have any problem saying what I'm saying. I don't know how you're saying it with any, any integrity, but I don't mind saying Jesus is Lord because I already believe that. So it was really an interesting mix. Well, it was a place where I got to events that I just didn't go to. I was like, oh, guys, I don't go to anything that's got alcohol in it. I just don't go to any of these kinds of parties. I don't go in. But to community service events I'll go to. I'll take you out to lunch. I'll come to your business meetings. And I did those things and built relationships and saw some of the guys come to Christ. Well, the initial guy, my initial Christian young college student who invited me to join, he joined for the purpose of being a Christian witness in that environment. Got me involved to be a light in that environment. Was that being partners with light or darkness? Hmm. Was that a wrong partnership or a good partnership? It was interesting. For me, it was probably good. It worked out pretty well. 
because I, I, I wasn't tempted by, I mean, I was 35 years old, man. I wasn't tempted by the parties, none of that stuff. But at the end, I remember talking to him and he said, you know, I gotta be honest. I think I was influenced more by the group than that the group influenced them. I was influenced more by the group than I influenced the group. For him, it probably ultimately hadn't been a good experience. For him, it hadn't been something that brought him closer to Jesus and, and was difficult for him to bring someone else closer to Jesus. So in your business dealings, in your partnerships, in the in your as you get involved in neighborhood activities, is this something where you're being salt and light, where you're being an influencer, or is it a place where you're being influenced? Here in this role, um, <clears throat> the king of Judah, who was passionate about following God, was getting in a partnership with, with his brother-in-law in something that he probably shouldn't have been in. It probably wasn't a good thing. It, all, all it was was to keep the wealth of the kingdom of Israel going. It, it, it wasn't about freedom. It wasn't about justice. It wasn't about spreading the good news of who God is in the world. Well, they went to war. And in verse 9, we see the problem. It says, the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah uh, to go to Edom. And they marched around about March of seven days. And the army had no more water. And see, going through the desert thing, right? You picked up on that? Yeah. And here the king of Israel's like, what? <laughs> no water in the desert? Oh, no. I'm thinking, see, he wasn't that bright. But look what he says. Hasn't the Lord, in verse 10, has the Lord called us three kings here together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? This king, Joram, this king of Israel, who's only halfway following God, he kind of concluded on his own somehow, or maybe had some misleading prophets in his life, somehow he'd come to the idea that, hey, I know what I'm supposed to do. We're supposed to go through the desert. This is God's will for all of us to come together. This is God's will for us to go and reconquer that land and re-get those tax money for me. That's what I want. I want the taxes. I didn't want to give up the 100,000 lambs per year. I mean, that, that was a pretty good barbecue. I didn't want to give up all the wool. That's where all my clothes came from. I didn't want... It's got to be God's will. It had to be God's will to call us out here to this desert, to call us to war. And now God's called us, and now there's no water? Oh, my goodness. What could this be? Application number two, you ready? Don't presume. Don't presume. Your desires are God's directives. We do this, right? Oh, I know for sure. God has got this with it. This is where God is leading. Yep, I'm pretty confident because it's exactly what I want. And if, if I want it, wouldn't God want it? If this was my preference, wouldn't it be God's preference? Has God, I mean, is, doesn't God want good things? And so often we presume, we run ahead, we, we, we decide this is the way that God is leading. And, and there's no real confirmation. There's, there's not other brothers and sisters going, yeah, yeah, I think this is it. There, 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 none of that. It's just us kind of naming it, claiming it. I'm ready to go. And God wants me to have a, I don't know, a nice house, a big car, and a great job. God wants me to have every perfect thing. Brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. Yeah, okay. Amen. I, I, I don't think that's right. We see Paul about the fact that, hey, I was shipwrecked. I was at 
lost at sea for like a whole day. I've been in danger in the country. I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger from bandits. I've, I've, I've been persecuted by my own people, by the, by the other nations. I have been, as I've been following Jesus. Jesus has led me to some very difficult spots. I've been stoned almost to death. I've been beaten 40 lashes minus one. All of these terrible things happened to me so that Christ might be glorified through my life and the message of Jesus taken around the world. It is not about what I wanted. Paul wasn't saying, oh yeah, bring on the whippings. Oh yeah, bring on the stoning to death. Oh yeah, bring... Paul wasn't asking for that. But that's what it took to take the gospel around the world. We so often want God to do things our way. In James chapter 4, listen to this warning. Instead of boasting about what we're going to do, he says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this and that and that. He talks about, hey, I'm going to conduct business here. I'm going to make money. I'm going to move to this town. I'm going to do this or that. He said, no, 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 no. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, thinking that our desires are God's directives. And he says, all such boasting is evil. Jehoshaphat, that king who actually knew God, he said this in verse 11. Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we can inquire of the Lord? And there was one officer that said, uh, actually, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. Um, he used to pour water on the hands of Elisha, and Jehoshaphat knows of him. He goes, well, he goes, yeah, well, the Lord is with, verse 12, the Lord is with him. Um, we know he speaks from God. So the king of Israel and the king of Jehoshaphat uh, went down uh, to Edom uh, to get him, right? Let's go, let's go see this guy. This guy actually has an actual word from God. This guy will actually speak to us. And here we see application number three. If we're going to truly discover and truly walk in God's ways, then we need to be in tune with what God's will and his provision. We need to get ourselves in tune with what God is saying. We need to hear from him. We need to know God's will in our lives. Okay, <clears throat> and there you're all going, and that's the million dollar question. How do I know God's will in my life? Is it today that guy or that guy? Is it this job or this job? Is it this major or this major? Is it this financial decision or this financial decision? Am I supposed to retire at 67 or 62? <laughs> no. What is God's directives in my life? What am I supposed to do? Well, brothers, there's some keys in this, in this, in this passage. Number one, we discover and get in tune with God's will, understanding God's will, when we're walking with God's people. People who have known God for a while. People who know his word. Do you have these in your life? Some people that you just, I respect their relationship with God. I know they've been walking with God for a while. They've been hearing from him. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, Elisha says to the king of Israel, <laughs> here's the prophet goes, why do you want to involve me? Why don't you go to your own prophets, the prophets of your father, the prophets of your mother? Why don't you go ask them? Go, go to the people you've already been listening to. And the king of Israel says, no, 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 no. It's you. <laughs> um, no, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. And Elisha says this. He says, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, if I didn't have respect for the presence of King Jehovah, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I wouldn't even pay attention to you. Jehoshaphat knew Elisha. Elisha knew Jehoshaphat. The truth of the matter was, they knew that those two guys were truly interested in knowing God and walking with God. We need to surround ourselves with 
Now, it's fine to be salt and light in the world, but you need to have some people that you like. I, I want to be like them. I want to know God like they do. I, I want to hear if we're going to become like Jesus, let's hang around with other people who are like Jesus. Number two little point here. We get in tune with God. It's going to surprise you. Through singing, through song, through worship. But look what it says next, uh, verse 15. When Elisha the prophet wants to know God's will, he says, well, bring me a harpist. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of God came on Elisha. Now, this was actually sort of uh, one of these ways in which God was making himself known. It was a common practice of some of the prophets of the time that they would kind of sing and get in songs and have the harp play. And, and, and sort of what they would just like, I know that this is what God is saying. Now, that doesn't work for us. You can't like... Well, I'm trying to discover who I'm supposed to date. Here, I'm going to turn on Bright FM or K-Love or something, and all of a sudden, the music's going to start playing, and it's going to be like, it's him, and it's her. I, I, I don't believe for a minute that that's how this goes. But I do know one thing, that if you want to look at my heart, you want to know my life, whether I'm walking in the Spirit today or not, are there psalms, hymns, spiritual songs coming? Because when I'm in tune with God, when I'm surrendered to Him, when I've sought His presence that day, when I'm walking with Him, I don't have to have heard the radio at all that day. It just starts coming. This is why we sing these songs on Sunday. Because they fill my heart, they fill my soul, and they just start oozing out. In Ephesians chapter 5, I think it says this on, it says 2 Kings 3, but it's not. It's Ephesians chapter 5. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, or songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart from the Lord. As we're discovering God's will, as we discover His presence, I just need to be in His presence. Not just God give me an answer, but God, I delight myself in you. Now, not just God direct my steps, but God, fill my days. Lord, be my overflow. Flow through me. Finally, we need to hear actually a word from God. We actually need to hear a word from God. Um, after it says, bring me a harpist, in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 15, it says, while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elijah, and then verse 16, and he said, this is what the Lord I will fill this valley with pools of water. He says, goes on to say in verse 17, uh, For this is what the Lord says, You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. You, your cattle, the other animals uh, uh, will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord, and he will also deliver Moab into your hands. We need to know God's word. We need to know. God ended up filling that whole place. It wasn't rain. It was just something. Springs of water came up. There were ditches. Now, <clears throat> depending on how you actually translate that passage in Hebrew, because I know some of you are already scratching your heads. I can see, I can see it in your eyes. Um, you're Is it that you're, the ditches will be filled, or are you supposed to make ditches so that God will fill the water? Both have good spiritual points, and it's really hard to tell in Hebrew which one it is. I'll just go ahead. The actual construction in Hebrew is actually very complicated, and nobody quite knows whether it's God is the one just filling trenches, which were these kind of 
broken places, these little like places where water had run off and sort of left little grooves in the, in the desert. And so this was a normal thing. And all of a sudden, some kind of springs of water all of a sudden came up or whether rain had come from a long way away and now there was a runoff in the land. We're not sure how that happened or whether they were supposed to literally dig the ditches themselves and God would fill it. You'll have preachers preach both ways. You'll have preachers go, oh, they were supposed to dig the, dig the uh, ditches, just like a farmer who prays for rain. Does he go out there and prepare his land or not? <clears throat> That's the one who actually has faith. I, I can buy that. But it might also be that God was just filling it up. It was only something God could do, and the provision was going to be just from God, regardless of their effort and their work. Both are good translations. Both could be a word from God, but they're both consistent with Scripture throughout. Both consistent through the whole of Scripture. We respond in faith. We respond to a faith that comes when we hear that Jesus died for your sins. He is God's provision. That he rose from the dead and only through faith in him can you be forgiven. You realize that, right? You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough. You couldn't dig enough ditches to get God's favor. But God has given it to you. He has filled your life with his Holy Spirit. He and he alone can do it. Have you responded to Jesus in faith as I'm giving my life, giving your life to him? But the other application is also quite true. We have to respond in faith. And as James tells us, Faith without any action is dead. And so we have to, in the salvations, we have to give our lives to Christ. He doesn't just automatically just give it to you. He offers it to you. He did all the work, but you respond in faith. And to all of the places God leads us, we have to step out. He's given us that freedom to respond. So this morning, the invitation is clear. you're being salt and light. Stay in tune with God's word and with his people so that you can actually discern what God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And finally, and finally, know this provision of God. Know this one that comes where you respond in faith to a filling, to a provision, to a, to a miraculous encounter with God that only he can bring about. Some of you You've never responded to Jesus. I mean, maybe you've been around church, maybe, but you have never said, Jesus, become Lord of my life. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, make me new. Fill my life, this desert, this empty place. Fill it with your presence. I need you. Be my Savior. If you've never done that, today is your day. Would you say yes to Jesus today? Some of you, yeah, you said yes to Jesus, but you're still walking in the desert because you're trying to do it all on your own. You've not been asking for the filling of God's Holy Spirit. You've not been around God's people. You're not part of one of his churches, one of his communities. And God is inviting you to be here in this church. Or if not here, he's got one very specifically for you. But you've got to plug in to walk with God's people to discover all that he has for you. And some of us, we're just kind of in a partnership with sin. God needs to break that. You need to let go of those things in your life that, that you know are pleasing to him. Today, uh, the worship team is going to come and lead us in one song. I, I, I'm going to be here at the front. Pastor Barry's going to be here. If you need to respond to say, I need to be part of this church, or I want to know more about giving my life to Jesus, would you respond today 
and say yes to Jesus. Or if you just need someone to pray with some issue in your life, would you respond? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the provision that is Jesus. Thank you for coming to our lives to save us. Thank you for filling our lives with the water of life, the living water that is your Son. Give us your Spirit and let it overflow. We pray this all in the name of Jesus.